This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Before diving in with my phenomenal guest of this week, I just want to provide a couple of mentions, as I always do. I want to thank my corporate sponsors, uh, Halton Honda, as well as forever for believing in myself, my guest of each week, and the content of the program. I also wish to thank my friends and family over at C-Suite Radio Network, which, of course, following the live show, you can eventually find the podcast link of each interview of each guest of each week. I also want to just say thank you very much to BargainBuddy.com. As a busy radio host, author, motivational speaker, and mum, I don't have the time to hunt around for a good deal. That's why I love my BargainBuddy.com. My Bargain Buddy scours the net every day to find the best deals and coupons so you can save 50 to 90% on clothes, shoes, gifts, pet supplies, and much, much more. They even tell you where to score free stuff. Sign up for their free email newsletter for a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. When you shop with My Bargain Buddy, you'll never pay full price again. Visit MyBargainBuddy.com today. Well, super, super excited for my guest of today. Who is my guest today? My guest is a brilliant, phenomenal woman by the name of Dr. Laura Sokola. Dr. Laura Sokola is a leadership communication expert and the founder of Vocal Impact Productions in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. Her mission is to turn executives and other leaders into master influencers who get to yes by helping them master the three C's of vocal executive presence. Command the room connect with the audience, and close the deal. She has spent nearly 20 years in language, culture, and education and has done coaching, trainings, and keynote addresses across five continents. She is a C-suite network advisor and coach for the TED Fellows Program. Sample clients include Comcast, Independence, Chubb, Wikimedia, the U.S. Department of Commerce, IBM, and Women Against Abuse. She earned her Ph.D. in Educational Linguistics from the University of Pennsylvania, where she was faculty from 2001 to 2013. Wow, what a repertoire. Thank you so very much for joining us today, Laura. How are you? I am thrilled to be here, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. Well, it's fantastic to have you as well. I love women who, especially all people, but women especially who are paying it forward, who are being of service to other people, who are trailblazers, who are spitfires, because of course, we don't know what we don't know. So any opportunity I have to be joined by fellow experts, I just want to say thank you so much for the gift of your time, because I know it really resonates with the loyal listeners and the podcast subscribers. So What I want to do before, uh, and this is all unscripted, everybody who follows me knows this is unscripted, but I want to do something to illustrate exactly what it is that you are an expert in, which will pinpoint exactly what we're talking about. So what I'm going to do, and Laura has no clue what I'm doing here, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read back Laura's bio, but I'm going to read it in such a way that's completely wrong, not how people want to hear it, not how the person who's delivering it should be speaking or imparting the message. So I'm going to replug Laura's bio, and Laura, you can dissect it and tell me exactly why people should not be speaking this way, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay. Okay. Dr. Laura Sokola is a leadership communication expert and the founder of Vocal Impact Productions in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
Her mission is to turn executives and other leaders into master influencers who get to yes by helping them master the three C's of vocal executive presence. Command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. She has spent nearly 20 years in language, culture, and education and has done coaching trainings and keynote addresses across five continents. She's a sweet, sweet advisor and coach for the TED Fellows Program. Sample clients include Comcast, Independence, Chubb, Wikimedia, the U.S. Department of Commerce, IBM, and Women Against Abuse. She earned her Ph.D. in Educational Linguistics from where the University of Pennsylvania, where she was faculty from 2001 to 2013. <laughs> so, wow, I'm really glad you did it the other way first. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably would have tuned out. So this is your opportunity to shine and to truly illustrate what it is that you specialize in, why you're the expert, and why people should never speak the way I just uh respoke that and replugged your bio. So let's let's nail it down, Laura. What did I do wrong there? Uh, how about we start with what you did right? It's probably a shorter list. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, though, the um, I think the biggest challenge for a lot of people, and you demonstrated it perfectly, is there seems to be a disconnect between the words that they're saying and the nature of the delivery. It's almost like they're not really processing the meaning of their own words, because if they did, it would be inflected very differently. The cadence and the rhythm would be different. The uh, different words would be emphasized. And even the tonality, the intonation, the highs and the lows in your voice would be in different places in order to draw the listener's attention to whatever words you thought were most important. That's really the most important part of speaking is that you know what you want to achieve. You know what impact you want to have, what message you want to convey. You know what you want the other people to hear. And not just to hear through their ears, but to understand it to the point where they just get it in their gut. And that's, in order to do that, you can't just sort of let words fall out. Mm -hmm. You need to really think about which ones are most important and how do you punch them up? Are they words that, and phrases, ideas that are exciting that are scary, that are, are sympathetic, or whatever it is that you're trying to evoke in them, you have to emit yourself. Because people are going to, you know how in a restaurant they say you eat with your eyes first? Yes. Right? So it, you, it looks really pretty. The food comes out. It's all nicely arranged. Good colors. Smells great. Just by looking, you're starting to salivate already. The mm -hmm. same food can come out slopped on a plate. And you take one look at it, and even if you're really hungry, you're just not so excited about mm -hmm. taking that first bite. It's the same with how you hear, how we process speech. Regardless of what your words are, I, as a listener, I'm going to feed off of your vibe. I'm going to feed off of the tone that you set through the way that you communicate. If I feel like you're just kind of bored and going through the motions because here's the stuff I'm supposed to read off of a piece of paper and it's our housekeeping agenda for the day for our <laughs> meeting or the other things that we're supposed to be talking about, mm -hmm. then it's like, I can tell that you would rather be doing just about anything else right up to possibly drawing a line at a root canal <laughs> rather than talking about what you're talking about in the moment. And if I feel like listening to you, that you don't want to be talking about that, you don't care, you're not interested in your own words, why am I going to be hanging on to every word and on the edge of my seat? I'm not. I'm going to get the vibe from you, and that's going to become the filter through which I listen and determine how much attention I want to pay. So we really lead with the delivery not just the content. That's, that's what people really, um, that's the gap that they really need to close to have the impact and the influence that they want. Bingo. How's that? Beautiful. Did I pass oh, the test? Absolutely. You passed the Lisa <laughs> test. <laughs> 
Anyway, so that's a wonderful way of describing it, and I appreciate you being very uh, thorough and succinct in your definition of that and elaborating and breaking it down for the loyal listeners and the podcast subscribers. So lots of things I want to dive into. So absolutely loved your TEDx talk, and um, and I think it would be beneficial for the loyal listeners to know a little bit more based on what you can share with us. When you talk about the three pillars of uh, vocal executive presence, when you talk about gravitas specifically, I love that that one. Can we re-emphasize, perhaps paraphrase again, why that is so fundamentally important for people who are trying to connect with their audience? Sure. So just to clarify, there's the, the broad concept of executive presence overall, which is how you're viewed, how you're, uh, the kind of leadership presence that you have. Mm-hmm. And that's where the research had come out with the three pillars of the uh, uh, gravitas, communication skills, and appearance. The the uh, vocal executive presence is my little take on it, and that's mm-hmm. about the speaking piece specifically. So, but with regard to the gravitas as a component of your executive presence, it's really includes things like: Do you have the experience to back up your claim, the knowledge, the expertise? Do your words have teeth? You know, if you claim that X needs to happen or Y will be the consequence, and X doesn't happen is why the consequence or do you cave? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you stand up for what you believe in, even if you know it's not going to be popular? Are you willing to speak truth to power? When someone holds sway over you and you disagree with them, are you willing to say no and here's why? Uh, There's all of these little pieces that project authority, that project credibility, that project someone who is a leader in essence, not just Mm -hmm. in title. And that's a massive, massive distinction. So mm-hmm. um, the gravitas is, is all of that and more. Beautiful. Well, let me ask you this, too. What was it that first uh, was a draw for you in terms of linguistics, your fascination for the command of the English language, you wanting to share uh, and help anchor other people who understood the benefit and the necessity in terms of connecting with their audience, whether they're a so-called speaker or they're in a leadership capacity? How did you know that this was your niche, that you had something here and had to share your gifts with the rest of the world? As a linguist, um, foreign languages really have always been my uh, my love. Mm-hmm. And I think that started from the time I was about five because my grandmother is from Chile and she would come to visit us at Christmas. And I remember hearing her on the telephone talking to her siblings back in Santiago and just being completely fascinated by this magical power, this superpower that grandma had, this foreign language this, that, that I just couldn't break the code. And I thought, because I was raised in your traditional Americano, modern, monolingual English household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, someday I want to have that power. And that sort of sparked this love of languages and cultures. And as I started to learn more about them, I understood it's not just about, did you memorize the vocabulary? Do you know this grammar pattern and how to conjugate the verbs? There's so much more that makes words have or lack the meaning and the influence, the impact that you want them to have. You can't just translate things word for word. I mean, humor is a great example of things that just don't translate particularly (laughs) well, as I'm sure you've experienced, right? Yeah. So that, once I went out of that realm, I started to understand where it's not just about going from Spanish to English or Japanese to Russian. It's really, it could be between two people who are, who came out of the same womb to siblings. You can't get much more similarly wired than that. And yet we still have these massive miscommunications. So I became fascinated with what is it that creates that miscommunication, the gap where you hear what I say, you don't hear what I intend. Mm. So that is one of the biggest challenges for people who want to be or become leaders If they have the technical expertise, but not that communication ability to be able to help people regardless of what expertise they have or where they're, what, what silo their rate coming up through, uh, what, what technical expertise or industry they're in, you, they're not going to be effective. And that's a challenge for so many people, right? I mean, what, what gets you promoted to a certain degree? You're an engineer, you're in finance, you're in marketing, And that's what you're good at. 
but then suddenly you have to be able to explain your ideas, share your vision with someone who doesn't come from that world. Mm -hmm. Can you make them get it? And if you can't, that's going to be your stopgap. So that's become my passion in trying to help people figure out how to close that and how to have the influence they want, regardless of who the audience is. Beautiful. Well, a couple of simultaneous thoughts came to me. So the first thing is, you know, regardless of your level of expertise, and we know that this has been honed, we know that the more you do something, the more you practice, the better you become at it. So so in spite of this being your specialty, you being an expert, uh, this being your passion, you know, what is it that you had to overcome to master this? What was it that you had to pay more particular focus and attention on to really get this succinctly packaged? That's a good question. Um, from For me, you know, where the fearlessness sort of has to come in, and uh, I think courage is, what's the definition of courage? Fe- fe- feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Doing it anyway, yeah. I am a linguist. Uh, I'm a teacher by background. And mm-hmm. I'm not a business person. So for me, the challenge was figuring out how to take this knowledge and this understanding out of the world of academia mm-hmm. and relate it more effectively or, or package it in a way that people in the business world and, or other professional areas would understand the goal and pre- present it in a way that they would be willing to receive this kind of instruction or assistance. And that was the shift for me. It wasn't so much a matter of um, understanding my craft. It was understanding how to to frame it for the right audience. So really, it's about practicing what I preach. I had my understanding. I had my expertise. But I had to learn to understand how business executives think or government officials think in order to be able to let them know how I could help. And that was really the key. Fantastic. So I I personally am very interested in the lead up to your talk. So when you're taking the stage and we'll use the TEDx because that's huge. When you sure. when you're walking out onto the stage, yes, you're prepared. Uh, yes, you perhaps maybe gave that particular speech, maybe tweaked it a bit, uh, knowing who your intended audience was. But regardless of how much you've honed something, what's going on for you physically as you're taking that stage? Breathing. Okay. I think breathing is really critical prior to uh, beginning any particular presentation, talk, speech, or otherwise. It's even for someone like me, where I love being on stage. I love doing presentations and talking to larger, small audiences. That's fun for me, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that I don't get an adrenaline rush leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And adrenaline is adrenaline. So whether it's because you're terrified of going on stage or excited to go on stage, your body doesn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. So your heart kicks in, the pulse starts to kick up, your your hands may or may not get sweaty. And I know that as that adrenaline starts to build, it can start to make me talk faster. It'll do that to anybody. And of course, I'm a Jersey-born Italian, so I'm already (laughs) genetically wired to talk at twice the speed of light when I get going and really excited about something. So Mm -hmm. I know that I can't let that adrenaline really just snowball or avalanche itself uh, because I'll be talking too fast and I'll lose my impact. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's about focusing. It's about centering my thoughts and doing some uh, square breathing exercises ahead of time to make sure that I'm composed, that my head is clear, that I've brought my pulse down a little bit, and that I feel composed and ready to go. So the breathing, I think, is the most important. Are you familiar with square breathing? No, I don't believe I am. So it's, you want to try it? Let's do it yes. together. Okay. okay. So it is four steps, hence mm-hmm. the four sides of the square. And if you in, you know, sit up nice and straight, so you've got good posture and you can get a nice full uh, set of lungs full of air. Mm-hmm. And as you inhale slowly through your nose, you're going to count. So you can tick off your fingers or however you like. Mm-hmm. But I would inhale and count to myself. One, two, three, four, five, or however long it takes me to inhale, however fast or slow I count. Then for the same count, and when you're, once your lungs are full, you hold that breath. Mm-hmm. And then after you finish counting that, then you exhale for the same count or longer, but you're going to exhale through your mouth, through pursed lips, like you're whistling nice Mm -hmm. and slow. And then at the end, you're going to hold the emptiness. 
for that same original count. That's one. Mm -hmm. That's one. So if we do it, we're going to inhale. Hold. Exhale. Lovely. There's your breathing. And if you, if you actually test it, if when you're nervous, you can feel your, your adrenaline going, your heart going, you take your own pulse for, mm -hmm. let's say, 15 seconds, see what it is, and then do that square breathing exercise five times, 10 if you have the patience for it. But try five <laughs> to start mm -hmm. and then take your pulse again. You'll be shocked what a difference it makes. So when you know that you're getting sort of nervous or anxious, getting ready to start, Mm -hmm. Whether you go into your office, go into the bathroom, go into wherever it is where you've got some private time just for two minutes and do that square breathing. And it just brings you center, helps you feel controlled, in control and focused and just ready to go. Love it. Well, I, I'm familiar with the concept and the technique. I didn't know that that's what it, in fact, was called. So thank you for that. Just learned something else from you. Some um, people may call it other things, but that's how I've been referring to it. Okay, so would meditation be a big part of your daily regimen? Um, you know, I wish I could say I was that disciplined, but uh, <laughs> nope, not whatsoever. I'm not a good meditator. I'm not a good sit stiller. <laughs> so okay. It's not, uh, not part of my genetic wiring. No, um, not part of mine either. I get it. No, but I know when I do need to focus, I can take a minute or two and center myself, but mm -hmm. daily meditation, 5, 20, however many minutes... Nope, not part of my world. But it's a great practice for those who um, want to, mm -hmm. by all means. The other question I want to ask you, Laura, is, okay, so regardless of how well-versed or prepared you may be, knowing, again, before you take the stage, who your intended audience is, let's just say, you know, you've, you've honed your craft, but this happens to people. This, this, this happened to professional speakers. A lot of professional speakers will say, oh, I had this one experience where this happened, blah, 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 blah. I either drew a blank or I went into a coughing sure. fit um, or, you know, I just completely blanked out. So in a situation like that, what would your expert advice be to somebody who falls into the category of having a moment like that? Do you just improvise your way through it? Uh, so that you can make it as organic still and as natural a flow of a speech as possible? Or what, what, what do you do in that situation? I think improv is very important. Um, it depends yeah. in part on the nature of the talk or the presentation, right? So there's a difference, a huge difference, between giving a TED Talk where it really is supposed to be memorized, just mm -hmm. about verbatim, if not completely verbatim. There's a hard and fast time limit uh, versus giving a presentation where you're really like in a, in a business setting, PowerPoints and whatever else, where it would be, it would feel canned if someone realized that you were memorizing a scripted speech. That's, that's not usually a good connection. It should be more, um, a little bit more off the cuff. I mean, prepared, of course, but it should be conversation, not scripts reciting. Mm -hmm. And so if you forget in different places, it the way you need to cope, I think, is different. If you're in the presentation and you're just having a conversation with the audience and you realize, you know what, there was a third point I wanted to make about this particular element and it went right out of my head. But you know what, I'm going to make a note to myself and mm -hmm. I know that it's going to come up either like 30 seconds before we walk out the door and it'll I'll be able to come back to it or else I'll send it to you via email because I'm sure as soon as everybody leaves, then of course I'll remember, you know, you can make a self-deprecating joke or whatever, but don't, um, you just don't want to break down, right? right. The, um, an analogy I use is if you're in an orchestra, if you're listening to an orchestra and you hear one wrong note somewhere in the middle, mm. as long as the orchestra keeps playing, mm -hmm. you'll forget about that wrong note. But if the trombone player stands up and goes, sorry, yo dudes, hey, over here, that was me, my bad. My bad, sorry. Right. Then it's like, okay, that's all you can pay attention to. So really in your improv, so to speak, or just in your recovery, don't make it seem like you think this was the worst gaffe possible mm -hmm. and where you're completely mortified and they should feel like you should feel mortified. Then you won't plant that idea. It goes right back to our original discussion point with people are going to in 
infer and interpret what you say based on how it seems like you feel about it as you're saying it. So as long as you're going, you know what, let me, let me, I'll come back to this. It's okay, but you sound in control and you accept this mental, you know, slip of the moment, mm-hmm. then they'll be like, okay. And they'll come back to it. They figure you'll fill them in eventually. Now, if you're in a, but if you of course turn around and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot what this was going to be. You guys are going to hate me. What am I going to do? I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get fired. You know, and then that, okay. They're going to watch you. bigger issues than speaking. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but when people are speaking and they have that momentary little space cadet moment, yeah. that's where the little hamster wheel in the back of your head starts spinning like man. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So we want to make sure that you don't go down that rabbit hole. And so just as long as you seem composed, they will accept what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different if you're giving a memorized talk. And I'll, I'll share with you and with the listeners that um, I did have a moment like that. I actually gave another TED Talk uh, about a year ago at um, the Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst, um, a military base in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Now, what I also learned was that there's such a thing called an internal TED talk or a TED conference, which means it is only for those who are part of the organization. While they videotape it, it will only be maintained there and it will never be broadcast. So I put all this time into a TED talk, which will never get put onto YouTube <laughs> or onto the internet. I was like, oh my God, how did I miss that beforehand? Oh, well. But nevertheless, right. what was interesting is that about halfway through, and it was the part that when I was rehearsing, the one place that I constantly got stuck on, I thought I'd pass through it, and I got to that point on the stage, and I blanked. And I thought, okay, I got about eight more minutes to go, so I better do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's but part of it is, number one, stop and take a breath. I mean, you don't have to stop walking or stop moving of any sort, but do take a breath. Gather your thoughts. Remind yourself, what? okay, where was I going with this? What was that last line I just said? And I ended up just sort of ad-libbing one or two sentences, which if I were to go back and look at the specific text, it was probably rambly. It it was not the most, I probably repeated the last thing I said one or two times, just paraphrasing it differently. It wasn't rocket science, but I kept talking until it clicked back in my head and I went, right, right, Mm -hmm. this was next. Okay, and (laughs) carry on. So then I just finished it up, but it was... And from there, we were okay. But what you can't do is have a complete epic failure moment and then run <laughs> stage. Um, I think the, the best example of that was a couple of years ago at, at Comdex, the big um, tech conference. Um, Michael Bay was getting ready to introduce, uh, I forget whatever new device Samsung had had uh, was releasing. And he comes out and he says hello to everybody and then the teleprompters aren't working and so he's sort of standing there and he's going uh, okay well we're gonna just wait for the tech okay the teleprompter is having a little trouble and he's just sitting there he's not even vamping he's not even ad-libbing or trying to converse or it's like you're supposed to be the head of this place you really can't say anything about just being excited to be here much less what it is that you're going to reveal in a moment can't you remember the name of the device or something mm-hmm. and he just stood there in silence and then literally walked off the stage and that oh was my that gosh. Oh my all over youtube i thought are you kidding me this is wow so, okay here's a fabulous lesson of what not to do i think it was mark twain <laughs> who said the only rational way to educate is to be an example of what not to do if one can't be the other sort. Right. And he was a fabulous example of what not to do. Poor guy. He's probably kicking himself to this day about that. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, of course, his bonus probably didn't suffer, so I'm not too sympathetic. But uh, (laughs) but it is something that, you know, is what we all want to do when we have those moments, but just hold your ground. Right. You trust that you know your stuff. Okay, if you need to put in something or other just to sort of fill space, but know that you will eventually get there. And frankly, 99.9% of the time, you're not going to be giving a fully memorized speech. Mm-hmm. So talk through it and come back to it if you need to. It's perfectly fine. Absolutely. Well, so this came to mind as you were speaking. So if you know, of course, you want to be in the flow with what it is you actually need to be uh, prepared for, 
for. But do you think it's equally important knowing that these uh, hiccups will flare up unbeknownst to us? You can't predict it, uh, but we know that there is a possibility. In some cases, there's a probability of that. Do you put then as a speaker or we would your suggestion be or not be to place as much equal emphasis on having like a default reaction under those circumstances should that arise so that you don't you don't end up doing what that person who you right. described did you know or should you be as equally cognizant of that knowing that human error can happen situations do arise not that you want to put all your energy on that you want to actually put your focus on what it is you you do want to deliver and you know and trust that it's not going to go awry but knowing again that that uh, error does happen should you as a speaker in terms of contingency planning should you also be pre-wired and make it as much a focus to have a good fall a good default i think it's good to have a plan as far as okay i know that i get nervous and if i if i screw up at some point or if i make a mistake i draw a blank then i just want to remind myself breathe mm-hmm. um explain this, or again, depending on the nature of the context, if it's a talk versus a presentation versus you're emceeing an event or mm-hmm. whatever the context is, uh, even here on the radio, you're talking and you're making it up as you go along, but you have a plan. So just to decide what, for that context, if this happens, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And I think just knowing that you have that backup plan can add a sense of security. I don't think there's a one size fits all. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if you could take the stage, share the stage with anybody, uh, you know, joining somebody to talk, who would you pick and why? Oh, wow. That's a long list. Who would I <laughs> talk with? Goodness gracious. I would love to talk with Oprah. Yeah. I think she has phenomenal presence. I think she she's just got such a a finger on the pulse of the world mm-hmm. and the, I love how much she pays forward and how much she looks to give and develop. And she just has such a phenomenal presence about her. Uh, I love her voice. Yes. Uh, so I think she's terrific. Um, I would have loved to share a stage, a, a stage with Steve jobs. Uh, he was mm-hmm. just the master and to be able to work with him on, I don't know, delivering something would have been exciting. I think mm-hmm. so. There mm-hmm. lots of different people. And who else do you believe is iconic in the world of speaking? Who do you think has just completely mastered it and nailed it, aside from Oprah and Steve Jobs? Sure, there are definitely some. Um, presidentially, I think presidential Obama, President Obama was a great orator, as was yes. President Clinton. Um, both of them just knew how to, they had a charisma. Whether or not you agreed with their politics is not the point, yeah. but they had a natural charisma in the way that they spoke. They kind of sucked you in and you felt connected as they were speaking. There was a, an, a sincerity, again, rightfully or wrongfully, but there was a sincerity in the way and an authenticity in the way that they spoke that I think was really powerful. Um, there are, I actually really enjoy, <laughs> I've been doing some pitch coaching lately and working with young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, who are in college and in other areas and I love watching them speak. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily the most polished, but there's a passion involved and there's an inherent uh, hunger and drive and love of what they do and what they're trying to bring to the world. I would love to bottle that and give that <laughs> to, uh, to clients and to other speakers who otherwise have the clout, but don't necessarily have, they don't, or at least don't show the passion Mm-hmm. So I love seeing those kinds of things. Beautiful. And so when we talk about executive presence, you know, do you believe that that's something that is inherent, that just yet has to shine and come to light and come from within to share with the world? Or do you think that's something that truly does need to be mastered? I think it's both. You know, I've never really been a strong believer in the nature versus nurture divide. I think there's sort of two sides to the coin. Now, there are certainly those who have more natural ability toward it, Mm -hmm. but you can always get better. And you'll be really good in some contexts, but less so in others for myriad 
different reasons. So I mm-hmm. think the question is, it's kind of what I call my rubber band theory of mm-hmm. development, where everybody in their brain is born with a rubber band. Now, it might be a rubber band, like the big purple one that's around the broccoli or the asparagus in the supermarket. You know, <laughs> it's fat and kind of stiff and doesn't stretch a whole lot, but it does yes. the job. And then there's the kind that may come around when you've got a lot of mail and it's super stretchy and you just hope it doesn't snap, but it it's very easily flexible. So mm-hmm. that rubber band that you're born with, that you don't have control over. That's the nature part of it. But it still stretches. And the question is, how much can it stretch based on how much effort are you willing to put into stretching it? Mm-hmm. So that's the nurture and the development piece. And no two people will have the same combination thereof. But I think all people can develop those skills to some extent or other. There are just those who are going to be inherently naturally better with it. But I have also seen people, I've worked with them, who have gone from the extreme of the idea of having to stand up at a company meeting and do a five-minute introduction with script in front of them made them (laughs) want to dive out of the window and then vomit. (laughs) And go from there to voluntarily standing up and saying, I want to lead this uh, I want to be the, the the president of the organization next year. I'm ready to step up to leadership. I understand I'll have to convene all of the meetings. I'll have to mm-hmm. speak at the annual event. I'll have to do this and do that. So that's a massive leap. Yes. That's a huge leap. So now was that particular person I'm thinking of, was she the next Tony Robbins? No, but she doesn't <laughs> need to be. She doesn't need to be jumping exactly. around the stage, screaming and swearing and doing whatever else, which probably would not have worked in her favor necessarily. Right. But for her to overcome that feeling like I don't even have a rubber band. There is no rubber band. I have a rock. That's what I've got. I can't right. do it. And right. to then be, to be able to say, no, I can do it and I will do it and I'll do it well and I'll achieve what I want. And she got the feedback from others saying, wow, that was really good. I'm so impressed and I'm so glad you did this. And thank you so much for sharing. And to get that that feedback, those accolades and the Excellent. the approval, the appreciation just revalidates everything else and shows what really is possible. Because most of those who say, I can't do it, it's a mental block. Yes. And then an excuse. Absolutely. One of the biggest excuses I hear, and I, I, I hate this word because of the way it is misused, quote unquote, I'm an introvert. Right. So I can't <laughs> public speaking. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. Excuse. There are lots of introverts who are awesome public speakers. One Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with the other. If you're shy, that's different. But Mm -hmm. shy and introverted are not Not the same same thing. No, they're not. Thank you for clarifying uh, that. I really appreciate that. Look it up in Wikipedia or something, introvert, extrovert, understand what it is, but it has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with your inherent ability to be a good speaker. Mm -hmm. Or somewhere in the middle, ambivert, right? Sure. Sure, but, yes. but it's the degree of introversion yeah. or extroversion, right? Wherever you stand on the stage or on that scale, that scale is not directly related to whether or not you're a good okay. public speaker. Plenty of extroverts, A, don't like to be on stage, mm-hmm. and B, some who do like to be on stage aren't good at it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a distinction, too. So How true is that? <laughs> Right. I mean, how many people do you know who think they're awesome speakers, who think they're teachers, professors we've had, who yes. you're sure think that they're great. And everybody in the class is just yawning and going, oh, my God, <laughs> you're killing me. Come on. Yes. Does this person even have a pulse? This is dry as right. toast. This is awful. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it reminds me of the old uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. And, and Ben Stein's character, the teacher there, just anyone, anyone. Your, and he figured that your. guy didn't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think I'll be really boring today. Like that was not his intention. That was just him going, well, this is me and I'm sure I'm fine. And I think I'm a good teacher and okay. I may not be as energetic as some, but I'm a good teacher. Like he really thought he was. And most people do think that they're good at what they're doing. So we all need a bit of that uh, reality check. Absolutely. Huge. Um, So in terms of, barometer of growth, barometer for growth for you. How do you know somebody who's already highly skilled at what you do, somebody who's already nailed it, somebody who sought out uh, to master what it is that you have mastered for yourself? How do you continually know what the growth spurt is for you? How do you measure that when you're already phenomenally good at something? 
it's kind of that's an interesting question i think they're how do you define it kind of the the it's almost zen like where when you the better you get at something the or the more you learn the more you realize you still don't know mm-hmm. right? so it may be more about just polishing the details than about learning huge new things um and of course, you also start to realize that there are other kinds of speaking you could do or other, I don't know, acting or whatever that I know I'm not good at. You know, I'm a linguist. I'm not an actor. I do not approach leadership communication from the theatrical <laughs> direction like some people do. And that's fine. They're great. But it's not my take on it. Uh, so give me a Shakespeare script and nobody will be happy. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> I think you would do humor quite well. You seem to be quite natural at it, actually. <laughs> There's... There's improv humor and there's Shakespearean True. humor and nary the tween shall meet, at least in the <laughs> world and not in my world. So, you know, I could learn skills along those lines and I'm sure I could learn skills that would that would be applicable in my regular speaking and, and coaching and training world. But, um, you know, as you get better at certain things, you can watch yourself on video or listen to yourself on a recording like like the archived version of this once it comes out of this, this interview and you'll realize that, okay, I think I did this really well. I'm glad I've gotten better at that. I handled that well. She laughed on cue. Everything was great. But then I'll realize, but you know what? I noticed I did this a handful of times and it was something that most people wouldn't recognize, but I now catch it mm-hmm. and I don't like it. So I want to make sure that I take out that little tick or that little habit so mm-hmm. you start to see things like once you've once you've taken the marble and you've chiseled out the big chunks, then you can mm-hmm. work on refining the lines. Fantastic. Well, that's a segue to my next question that just came okay. to me as you were speaking. So, you know, if you take, for example, your TED Talk, anyone's TED Talk, anyone's presentation, it goes viral. You know, we all know that we see the views, we see people who yep. like it, we see people who don't like it. Now, if somebody has mastered something, if somebody has taken into account what you've identified as already being the essential ingredients for being, uh, you know, and ex- having executive presence, vocal executive presence specifically, you know, you've narrowed it down, you've gotten feedback, you've rehearsed, you've prepared, you're disciplined, you've done the whole thing. How is it? When inflection and context and tone, tonality, all these things are aligned, that people can still have take issue with it. Like how is it that people can still constructively say, oh, you know, didn't nail it or that wasn't a very good talk? Like where does that come from in the world? Because for people who gravitate to a certain speaker or a certain subject matter, obviously the interest is already there. So let's say they initiated, they voluntarily sought out the opportunity to hear a speaker talk about a certain subject matter. And as the speaker, the speaker has honed it, nailed it, mastered it, incorporated again all the essential ingredients, and yet there's still some negative feedback what what does that come from if not skill set if not delivery if not presentation if not lack of preparedness there's a lot of things that it could be connected to partly there's there's different preferences different personal i mean when you think about humor we'll go back to that example mm-hmm. uh, i cannot sit through a ben stiller movie Please don't make me do it. Just pull my fingernails out one at a time or something. It'll be less painful to me than watching anything by Ben Stiller. Um, But I know that in modern American society, I am by far in the minority. I don't get it, but people think he's hilarious. And clearly, I must be wrong because I'm sure he laughs his way to the bank every day. Um, So... You know, it, but it's just a matter of personal style, personal preference. I don't get his kind of humor. Mm-hmm. There are other people who I think are absolutely hysterical. But um, so the personal preference is part of it. Sometimes it's about values or about, and this is where it's about connecting with your audience, right? Command the room, connect with the audience, close the deal. Ben Stiller commands the room. He absolutely mm-hmm. commands the stage, commands the screen, wherever he is performing, Um but his kind of humor doesn't resonate with me. So mm-hmm. he's not aiming for me at that mm-hmm. moment. In a, when he's in a movie, he's saying, I'm talking the way I talk because I know that whoever's going to be in the audience is someone who gets me. They're going to voluntarily choose to come and hear me speak, hear mm-hmm. me act. Um, 
he's not working on me. If he's going to work with people like me as in his audience, he's going to need to adjust because mm-hmm. that whole like Zoolander kind of stupid humor, or whatever, <laughs> not gonna fly. So he's going to hear crickets in the audience and it, it all. It, so it's really about knowing your audience and understanding that you're going to have to pivot from one group to the other. It's, it's not necessarily a one size fits all. And sometimes it's not until you're there mm-hmm. that you realize this is not the audience for that. I mean, I did a training years ago when I was first starting out. And um, I mean, I, like I said, I love doing trainings. My, my personality when I'm working with groups uh, is very similar to what you're hearing today. I like mm-hmm. to have fun with people. I like to make jokes. And um, this was a, a continuing legal education class. So lawyers would get CLE extra credit so that they could maintain their, their license. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that because it was the end of the year and everybody was trying to, you know, get their points in under the the deadline that there was an, this sort of unwritten rule or expectation that for these credits, they just had to show up. They didn't actually have to do anything, including (laughs) pay attention. Like people walk in with stacks of, uh, you know, articles and magazines, um, journals, and their laptops and whatnot. <laughs> and there were literally those who just opened their book or opened their laptop and didn't make eye contact the entire day. Wow. So, and there were those who came in with that intention and then little by little kind of warmed up and were like, oh, you know what? This doesn't suck. She's actually pretty good. Maybe I will pay attention. She's like, wow, what great praise. Thanks. Okay. And right. I actually... Um, had, I wrote a blog on it uh, afterwards that I recognize that in any audience, there are three kinds of people. Mm-hmm. There are mules, tourists, and converts. Mm-hmm. And the mules were the ones who came in and said, I don't want to like this. I'm not going to like this. You can't make me like this. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> I refuse to have fun or find any value in this. So forget it. I'm going to dig in my heels and you can't make me move. Mm-hmm. And then there's the tourists who started out as mules Uh, with the intention of just saying, I'm going to do what I do and I'm not interested. But then are like, you know, this is actually kind of interesting. So, okay. I mean, I bought a ticket for the bus tour, so maybe I will look out the window and voluntarily, (laughs) you know, listen as the tour guide is explaining stuff. And this is kind of nice. Don't expect me to get off when the bus stops. I'm not walking around. I'm not taking pictures. I'm not going to do that, but you know what? I'll, I'll listen and and I'll pay attention and I'll, I'll enjoy it in spite of myself. And then there are the converts who also may have come in with the intention of being mules, but in the end stopped and went, actually, this is great. I didn't right. expect it to be great, but this is really great. So forget it. I'm not going to read these books or do this email or whatever it is. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to participate. I'm going to actually interact with her and do the activities that she's suggesting that we do because I'm finding value. I actually mm-hmm. had a guy at the end of that particular program, and it was a full day program. God help me. And... Uh, <laughs> When he, so when he came at the end of the day, he like drops this giant stack of journals on the table in the front of the room and said, I just wanted to show you this. This was my plan today. I was going to sit in the back corner and make my way through a whole year worth of these journals that I just hadn't had a chance to crack. I didn't open one page. He said, this was the best presentation, the best CLE I've ever attended. It was great, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he was showing me exactly how much resistance he came armed with. Mm, fantastic. And I had no idea that this was the mentality of this kind of program. Needless to say, I didn't sign up to do another one. It's a good <laughs> learning experience for me. Because I don't need to work that hard to make my audience love me. But for those who wanted to do it, great. You know, I'm glad I got through. But you never know who your audience is going to be. I don't know what would have gotten through to those other people. So I didn't connect with them. Um, could something have, or were they just bound and determined that, no, I have to get this work done and I'm going to use this time to do it no matter what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so you can't please everyone, but you can be prepared and understand what you're up against. That Very makes a big true. difference. Very true. Well, I think sometimes, too, that that can be pre-staged. I know having um, – I did a Dragon's Den pitch, and the people who I pitched to, the panel of people uh, – 
for the pre-show to see if you got accepted, um, they had to purposely throw you off your game. So you'd have one person who would very clearly look checked out, another person who was like talking to the person beside them or looking at their phone or whatever, because it was more to test, okay, how much do you own the stage here? How much are you confident within the Mm -hmm. message that you're executing? Yeah, so that's a perfect example. I could go on for hours with you and talk at nauseum, Laura, because I absolutely love this subject. I love you. I think you've been a phenomenal guest and I'm always cognizant of time and it always goes too quickly for my liking. So I'd like to give you an opportunity for the loyal listeners. Where can people seek you out? Where can people get a consultation? Where can people sign up to become a client? Uh, Wonderful. I would love to have people first, as you mentioned, definitely watch my TED talk. You can find it on YouTube or just on my homepage. There's a link to it. Uh, It's called want to sound like a leader, start by saying your name right. So we're right at about that 5 million mark, which is really exciting. Would love to have more people view it. Uh, my homepage, my website is uh, www.vocalimpactproductions.com. And there's lots of information there, all sorts of resources, podcasts like this, videos, a little bit of everything. And there's a contact page there. So if you wanted to talk to me about something, you want to explore coaching opportunities, or you'd like to have me come and speak at your organization, your event, your conference, by all means, reach out. Would love to hear from anyone. And any feedback, even about today, would love to hear your thoughts about today's conversation. Fantastic. Well, I can give you my feedback and I'm not biased here. I absolutely loved you. I've been doing this for three and a half years and you get a flavor of everybody under the sun who takes the other end of the mic. And uh, I just want to say I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I've been taking notes as you've been speaking sporadically for the last 50 50 minutes. And you know, even just in some of my research and preparatory work for you, I just thought, you know, you're stellar. And I loved our conversation. I just initially knew that you were going to be a hit today with my listeners because you're the type of guest and the content and, and what it is that you're immersed in and you excel at. This is what people are looking for. So I just want to say thank you. Total bingo bullseye. Uh, <laughs> high five today. You did a phenomenal job, Lauren. I can't I can't express my gratitude enough to you. So thank you for the gift of your time and uh, for the invaluable lessons and the nuggets and the gems that you've shared with all of us and you're always welcome to come back here should you uh, want to discuss rediscuss other things that have come to light in your own journey uh, different things that you feel you can open up to the general public that are going on for you in terms of programming scheduling uh, events um, anything you're more than welcome to come back here on living fearlessly wonderful thank you so much this was really so much fun such an honor to be here you're an amazing host You've got all this charisma, all this energy. I just really enjoyed our, our interaction, and I loved your, your test in the beginning. That was a fun little twist that I wasn't expecting. Uh, so this was great. I would love to come back anytime. Super. Well, thank you so much, Laura. And to my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for the gift of your time. I know how busy everybody is uh, and off the hook with their daily responsibilities and commitments. So the fact that you take time out of your schedule every Friday to tune in into myself and my guest of each week, I couldn't express my gratitude enough to you. I also want to thank you for being now over uh, half a million podcast subscribers. Again, I want to thank my corporate sponsors, Halt and Honda, and Forever for believing in myself, my guest, the content and the platforms in which uh, we go live every Friday. And I want to thank my family again over at C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, you can eventually find the podcast link of the interview here on the Contact Talk Radio Network uh, up on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, again, my host page. I just want to say this has been fantastic. I'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Look forward to doing this again next Friday here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald with the Contact Talk Radio Network at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 Central, 11 Eastern with yet another phenomenal guest. Wishing everybody a phenomenal weekend. Love and gratitude. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.